I'm your host, Jeff Dawson, for another episode of Dawson's Domain, where we cover the spectrum of life's pressing issues and events, from politics to relationships, sports to horror, alternative history to poetry, humor to baseball coaching, and everything in between. afternoon from a very sunny Dallas, Texas. This is a beautiful fall day, and we don't get a lot of these. We, it either goes from just hot to cold or cold to hot and all that good stuff, but we've actually had seasons this year, and this has just been a beautiful day with no humidity. Rain earlier this week, but that was okay. I guess we needed it. If you want to be part of the show, if you have any questions or comments, you can call in at 888-627-6008 or 323-744-4831. Excuse me. Now, if I seem a little distracted today for a little bit, I apologize, but then I don't because I'm going to be glancing at the OSU Texas game. OSU, Oklahoma State, might actually win one. This would really be phenomenal because Texas does not want to have lose to two Oklahoma teams in 2021. But because my earlier prediction was 45 to 28 Texas, and I'm glad I'm being proven wrong. Okay. If you enjoy the content, you can subscribe to the channel for $2.99, $5.99, or $9.99 a month. And it's really not that much for all the information, which I've got a lot of stuff set up here, and I don't know if I'll get through it or not. And uh, I also have a GoFundMe, Motivational Speaker and Author for Hire. And if your company requires the vaccine, I have the card that says I got my final shot. I usually give a shout out to Dunstan's, but I didn't attend last night because I got my second shot Thursday. And oh, damn. I ached all over. Took a couple of Advil and that lessened the pain. But uh, this is the second day. Took two more. Everything seems to be working, so I can't complain. So Patty and Jerry and Lisa and Ken and Tabitha, that is why I didn't attend last night because let's just be honest, I felt like hammered shit. It happens. But we're over that, and life is good. It's very good. Now, behind me, if you all have the video, you see these two posters? Okay, those are perfect for Halloween. And they're $10 a piece plus shipping. If you get both of them, it's $15 plus the shipping. And it comes in a rolled container, so it won't be they won't be damaged. And the one with the swastika on it, that's the one that has been banned by Facebook, Deutsche, Smashwords, and even Amazon. Of course, I got my own thoughts about Amazon. 
And that is a story of vampires taking on the Third Reich. And there's three books in that. In the printed copy, you get the original cover because that depicts it. And then the second one is Sabotage. The third one is The Cauldron. So this takes you from when Germany invaded Poland to their devastating defeat at Stalingrad. I really like the cover for the cauldron because if you Google pictures of Stalingrad, you will find this. And my art director, Bobby Lee Hunt Healy out of British Columbia, is the one that designed that. And she hit it dead on. Okay. I'll get to some other promos later, but. I had the honor of meeting Herschel Woody Williams this week, and he is the last surviving World War II Medal of Honor winner at 98 years old. Great man. So this fits perfectly because my book review is for two from the author Doug DePew, who served during the Cold War. And his books are Sat slash BAF, and Recall IRR. And these are his personal experiences. And the first one, SAT BAF, which stands for Strategic Alert Team and Backup Alert Force. He served in a Pershing missile site in Germany. And it was just great. So this was my review for his first one. I've read many accounts of veterans from World War I to Vietnam. This one stands out on its own. All of the other books were of soldiers in the front lines fighting a known enemy. The main enemy in this book is boredom and the threat of being attacked. Mr. DePew graphically describes the escapades of the unit he served with for two years in Germany. At first, I was turned off by the content, but then this isn't like Chicken Hawk or Soldat. The only real enemy appears at the gates of the Persian compound once a year, Easter, to demonstrate against the U.S. deploying mid-range nukes aimed at Russia. Who remembers those protests? I do. Every year they put it up there and these stupid kids are out there because they didn't want Germany to be the next battleground. Well, you know, those lines were kind of drawn at uh, the Yalta conference on who gets what what France and England, the United States, and Russia were going to get. So the battle lines were already drawn, and uh, they just showed their rank stupidity each year they protested it. Because if we weren't there, what do you think the Russians would have done? Hell, they tried to cut Berlin off in the 50s. And we stopped that. No, 48, I think. And we had the Berlin airlift for over a year because Russia shut everything off. Nothing could get in. And if it weren't for the United States Air Force, Berlin probably would, probably would have succumbed and there wouldn't have been an East and West Berlin bunch of ignorant kids. And OSU is taking the lead, 25-24. Now, can they hold? Sorry about that interruption, Mr. DePew. So how does the average kid of 18 to 24 spend his days when not on duty? Liquor and women, what else? Some might not like the content because of subject matter, but seriously, how many of us that attended college or even those that didn't, how did we spend our days after work? 
Work, yeah, we went to work every day for eight to 12 hours. We knew the task assigned to us was something to show for our efforts each day. These men and women only had the tedium broken by the entertainment that was on hand. Imagine being bored, being boxed in an area of 20 acres for two years with only drills and tower duty to break the monotony of the routine. How many of us had the fortitude to survive solitary for two days, weeks, much less two years? And that's really what these guys were doing. I mean, these were very high security sites. They had the Pershing missiles. <clears throat> they can't just walk around free and do what they want. They are the frontline defense against the Soviet Union. Once I finished the book, I really thought about how highly strung these men and women were. Boredom has killed more people than we can think of. So don't be too hard on these men and women who really did have a thankless job keeping the United States military on a 24-hour alert during the Cold War. Their effort and sacrifice under the leadership of Reagan were instrumental in bringing down the Russian bear without ever firing a shot in anger. On a final note, I had to listen to the song Silver Wings by Merle Haggard. The German girls hated it because those wings were taking away the men they had enjoyed and come to know. Mr. Depew, I salute you and your comrades for your service. I mean, it really is a good book. And even though shots weren't fired, they had to be ready each and every day to answer the call if that phone rang and said, launch or at war how would you deal with that i can't imagine it i really can't so he served his time he got out he started his career i believe it was in music and doug if i'm wrong you can correct me but uh I believe in his final years, he wound up as a uh, security guard at prison. And that was a pretty good career. But uh, so here he is, all these guys have served and these women and they've left and Iraq invades Kuwait. Now you would think that since you served your time, you were free and clear. Well, that's where they say you better read that fine print because that wasn't the case. It's 1990. The place is Florida, the war desert storm. Mr. Depew has finished his four year, two terms in Germany and two in Colorado. After his honorable discharge, he embarks on his dream job in the music industry. Now, I was right. He is less than a month from graduation and obtaining an internship when his father calls and tells him he has a mailgram from Uncle Sam saying, we need you. He, like tens of thousands of others, has been called up to finish up the initial contracts they signed with the military to defend our country. As you can imagine, lives for thousands of men and women were turned upside down with the notice. Yet instead of fleeing or trying to find an out, they begrudgingly accepted the orders and reported for duty. How many of us have complained about our daily jobs and lives when everything we plan doesn't go exactly as anticipated and raise holy hell over being inconvenienced? One would think the world had come to an end. It was only a small pothole in our journey. Those who were recalled ran straight into a mountain. 
His unit was whipped into shape in Georgia, then shipped to Germany for potential deployment to Iraq. In the end, the war ended so quickly, the unit was quickly disbanded and sent home. Now comes the real challenge. Will he return to finish his education, or has his life been dramatically changed in nine short months? You'll have to read the book for the answer. I fear many casual readers will not find this compelling work. If that is true, then they miss the message the book is sending. Adversity is what we make of it and how we overcome it. I salute the men and women, like Mr. Doug, whose lives were uprooted to defend our great nation. We, the American people, salute you. What's really funny is, you know, you got these 40-year-olds now, like 30s, 40s. We've been drinking beer. We've been chasing women. We've been carousing. We've been working. And physical fitness, let's be honest, just took a back seat, okay? So they had a lot of fun with their drill instructors who wanted to just whip these boys into shape. And they were like, excuse me, you have come to the wrong door. We did our time. We know what we can and what we can't do. And uh, we're not 20 anymore. So basically, they're telling the drill sergeants, this is how, this is how we're going to get in shape. And that was really an enjoyable part of the book. So if you've never heard of Doug DePew, you now have been informed. And I cannot recommend his books highly enough. And I read these. I met Doug on a chat board back when Amazon had them. Of, uh, I think it was called The Spinning Wheel. And I met a lot of nice people there. A lot of really good. It's one of the few chat boards that actually stayed on point and people weren't calling each other out and just, I'll never buy your book and this, that, and the other. I got on a few of those and it's like, these people are absolutely insane. They're just nuts. But Doug was one of the good ones along with uh, the gal who hosted it, Christina Moon, I believe. But uh, I really did. I ran into a lot of good people and uh, read their books, and just thought it was great. Now, before I get into Woody Williams, I want to give one of my classmates, give his daughter and son a shout out. We lost Byron Roberts about a week ago. I believe he'd had a stroke, and then he started having kidney issues, and they just had a real... He fought as long as he could, but his blood went septic again, and they couldn't control the infection, which I could relate to because that's what happened to Debbie in her final days. <clears throat> but Byron was one of those guys that, and, and we've all met someone like him. You just don't forget them. They always made you smile. They were always smiling. They didn't get down. They tried to always find the best part of life. And if there were problems, well, just deal with it, but don't live in it. And he was a good guy. He was very instrumental in me getting back in shape after shoulder, shoulder surgery and trying to make the Oklahoma State baseball team up. Called Byron up one day and said, what are you doing this summer? And he's like, not saying you. And it's like, well, hell, okay. I understand that. He goes, and he laughed and he goes, so what do you want? And I said, I need someone to catch for me. I'm going to try and get in shape. 
and he didn't have to. And I think I was working at DuPont that summer, which was four on and four off. So it wasn't, every day was a little different. We just couldn't say, okay, this is the time, but he made time. He never complained. And, uh, he caught me all summer. So at least I was able to try out. The tryout didn't go that well, but you know, it just wasn't to be, I'd never had allergies until the day of the tryout. So I decided to warm up by jogging to the stadium, which was about, I don't know, a mile, mile and a half away. And my nose just exploded. I was like, what the hell is this? And after warming up for five minutes, my elbow felt like there were rocks in it. So I knew this wasn't going to be a good day, but that's not the point. The point was I wouldn't have been able to try out if Byron wouldn't have taken that time that summer to catch me for about an hour, hour and a half a day. And for that, I will always be thankful. Always. He was just a good guy. And it's, he will be sorely, sorely missed. Rest in peace, Byron. You're a good man. In fact, I wrote a little ditty for him and sent it to his daughter today, and I'll leave it up to her if she wants to share with anybody, but I felt I just needed to honor him some way and came up with a few words and sent them to her. Now, Woody Herschel... Woody Williams, a friend of mine, Jose Diaz, called up. Well, he sent me a message that uh, this guy was going to be in town. Okay. And he received his Medal of Honor for actions on Iwo Jima. And he didn't get into that in his speech. Because in the bio, and you can look him up on Wikipedia, he just blanked out what he did, but he took out like four or five Japanese pillboxes with a flamethrower. Now, if you've watched any war movies like Hacksaw Ridge or Saving Private Ryan, it's like the guy's wearing that backpack were prime targets and one bullet it ignites that fluid and you're gone this man went back three or four times to get fresh tanks so he could flush out more japanese positions it's amazing when you read what he did but listening to him talk this guy he embodies what America was when he started his presentation, he asked, does anyone have a flag? Now he had a, he had a little American flag pin on his lapel. Well, no one was carrying one. And he goes, you know, let's stand up and recite the pledge of allegiance. And all I could think of was if there are any liberals in here, they're going to walk out. Because this was an auctionary event. They were having their world championship on Saturday. But this man was so articulate. And he was so honest about his life experiences. 
and how he battled PTS for 17 years. And I mean, he's, he was one of those that, you know, America wasn't the most educated country back in the forties. And he admitted to this when they heard Pearl Harbor had been attacked. He didn't know what Pearl Harbor was. He didn't know where it was. The only thing he knew is that the freedoms and liberties that he enjoyed on a day-to-day basis, even being poor in West Virginia, were at stake. And he, like millions of others, answered the call. They didn't question the cause. They answered the call. They didn't know what war was. They just knew that whatever had started this needed to be stopped and they would do whatever it took. And this was the country as a whole. 80 years later, that's not the case. And everyone here knows I'm a big baseball fan. Well, I was at one time a Gabe Kapler fan. He played for the Texas Rangers, and I forgot who the other guy came with him. I always forget his name, but I got to reading the bio on Gabe, and all I could think of is that son of a bitch needs to come and listen to this man talk, because when Gabe got the job with the Giants, which I'm so glad they're out of the playoffs after I read this crap, that he told the team that he was going to kneel for the national anthem and that he was a big BLM supporter, will kiss my goat-smelling ass. Don't you ever come back to Texas. Ever. He needs to listen to someone like Herschel Williams about what it is to be an American. And maybe he'd get educated, and a lot of these other people would be educated, on what it means to be an American. We are not a perfect country. No one has ever said we're a perfect country. But we're a hell of a lot better than anybody else. That's for damn sure. We've all got our faults. But we don't have a war-torn country like those in Europe and Asia and any other continent. We haven't been fighting state to state. Yeah, we did it for four years from 61 to 65. But if you look at the history of the other continents, it ain't pretty. I mean, look at Canada. There's a reason the East Coast is French and the West Coast is British. They hated each other. But they got a whole lot of land in between to separate them. But this man was just, damn, he was just so honest. And his opinion of America, he doesn't understand why are Americans killing Americans. Now, I mentioned where he went to church, and that's where his life changed. He didn't want to go to church. He had no desire to go to church. He didn't care. But it was Easter, I believe, in 62. His daughters were dressed up. He describes them as, I didn't know what an angel looked like, but when I looked at them, that's got to be an angel. They're just beautiful. So he begrudgingly goes to this service, but he's got a plan. He's going to sit on the outside of the aisle. That's what he's going to do. To make a hasty escape when he's ready. But that's not what he did. He said halfway through the sermon, he got up 
he walked down to the podium and the minister, I believe this was a Methodist church, just kind of looked down like, may I help you? And he said, yes, I need you to come down and pray with me. And that turned his life around. He was able to deal with those demons from Iwo Jima. He said he was smoking three packs of cigarettes a day, and those were Paul Malls. And anybody who ever smoked a non-filtered Paul Mall realizes that's a really strong cigarette. And he said he was drinking too much. But after that prayer meeting, he completely changed his life. And if I'm not mistaken, he is a chaplain. Like I said, you can go to Wikipedia and look him up. But what a humble man. He wasn't going on about his exploits. He was talking about what being an American meant. Not just to himself, but to everyone. And that this is what the United States is all about. And to actually talk to him just briefly, because it was an event and there were plenty of people there that he was meeting and greeting. It was just an honor because he's the last one. He's 98. He's the last World War II Medal of Honor winner that's alive. And you'd have never known he was 98 years old the way he held us captive for at least an hour. I'm so glad that my friend, Jose Diaz, invited me to see this because I was I was kind of on the fence, man. Do I really want to go out? I'm not feeling that great, which that was the, you know, the side effects of the shot were coming on. But uh, I'm glad I got off my dead ass and went at that man. That was just a true honor. And I'm going to send him this copy of this book, Women of War, which is my dedication to women who have served on the front lines at the home front. And he has a foundation, the Woody Williams Foundation. And what it is, it's for Gold Star families. And that's all you have to type in. Woody Williams Foundation. I'll just give you all the information about it. And he has made it his mission with the time he has left to honor all Gold Star families. What a great way to leave a legacy, helping others. And that was one thing he really talked a lot about was helping others. And that's something Gabe Kapler needs to figure out. Take all your liberal crap and blow it out your ass because that's all it is. It's just a bunch of crap. I don't care how progressive you think it is. Not at all. That's a real American. Go listen to what he has to say and maybe he'll change your mind in what this country is all about. So glad I got to meet him and hear him. That was great.
and I usually have uh, quotes from the media during the week, and they usually aren't very, I'm usually not kind with them. Well, I didn't watch any news this week, and if I did, I didn't pay any attention to it. But people also know that, why is everything going on? That I don't like any sports announcers. That's a given. In fact, the people I know, they'll ask me, well, who do you like? And I really have to think long and hard. Not this time. I actually found a group I liked, minus one. It's playoff baseball. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Nothing better, and so far the games have not been disappointed at all. And that was one thing I didn't mention about Doug. He's a big Cardinals fan, so sorry they were one and done. It would have been nice to see them beat the Dodgers and knock off the Giants, but hey, we'll take what I don't care about this. Stop this. Uh, He'll be back next year. But the group I found that I liked, and I did, I liked them. And it was on, I believe they worked for TBS. Pierzynski, Amen, and Wainwright. And the reason, and Verducci was part of their group, which I could, I don't care for Tom Verducci at all. That's irrelevant. Because he was just a sideline reporter. They should have put a skirt on him and just shoot him out there and said, yeah, we'll talk to you when we're ready to, Tom. But these three guys did what you're supposed to do. They talked about the game at hand. They didn't come up with any of their BS stories like Raymond and Nitwit Nitkowski do with the Rangers. They talked about the game. Wainwright's still playing. He's with the Cardinals. Krasinski is retired from the White Sox, but they talked about the game. And even Amen, the ESPN guy, they stayed on point. They didn't wander around aimlessly. They weren't filling up airtime with crap. How refreshing was that? And now I got to listen to Joe Buck and John Smoltz. God, enough of the analysis. I don't give two shits what you think he should have thrown or where he should have thrown it. This is not radio. We're watching the game, you idiots. Can you not see that? We are watching the game and don't need you to tell us what we just saw. Why don't you try that? They can't because, well, we're paid to talk. No, you're not. You're paid to call the game. Can you do that? No, they can't because... They think they are all-knowing. And I love John Smoltz as a pitcher with the Braves. What a great staff that was. As an announcer, no. He talks like he never played the game. Well, John, did you think about all this crap when you were a pitcher on the mound? No, but it's easy to sit back now and criticize everybody, and that's what I don't like about it. Pitchers are going to make bad pitches. We know that. You're not always going to hit your spots. Fielders are going to make errors like Altuve did the other night. Batters are going to be fooled. That's part of the game, you dumbasses. The day you figure that out, you might actually be good commentators. 
but I know in your small world that everyone wants to pat everyone on the back and no one says what they really think about. I wouldn't call a game with that son of a bitch. If they paid me a million dollars. That's what I want to hear somebody say. I'm not going to call with him. I can't stand him. That would be refreshing. It won't happen because then they'd never get another gig, but uh, at least the airwaves would be quiet. And if I'm not mistaken, is the game over? Did OSU actually win? Well, shit. I think they did. How about that? The Cowboys won. They're 6-0. and They have a chance this year. Okay. I don't want to get off track. Yeah, I will anyway. Okay. Now... You know, like I said, the playoffs are here. It's great. We're excited. I love this time of year. People ask me, well, what about the NFL? What about the NFL? I don't give two shits about the NFL. I'll look at scores, but when a baseball game's on, I'm watching baseball because we've got the Red Sox and the Astros coming up shortly. Yeah, I got that game on too. Same channel. I just love this stuff. But, uh, Now that I'm excited about the playoffs, my good friend Wes Ford goes, well, are you enjoying this? And I said, yeah. And uh, I coined a word a while back, dumbassery. Well, I had a serious case of it because I sat and watched painfully the Texas Rangers all year. And most of you know that. And I complained about it. And they've gotten rid of three players so far. They released Ponytail Boy, Fulton Newich. He needs to go over there with Gabe Kapler. Take his attitude to San Francisco or something. Martin, and I forgot the other pitcher. But uh, a buddy of mine, Ben Deiter, who has the Ranger podcast on Facebook, uh, they were putting up potential lineups for next year, which we don't even know who's still going who's going to be here because there were no long term contracts that I'm aware of, at least nothing over two years. But it won't matter if they get some of the best players on the market because the owners say they're going to spend money. We've heard this year after year in and year out. In fact, my memories popped up. It was just ten years ago. When the Rangers were playing the Tigers, my two favorite teams, for the American League pennant. I don't call it the ALCS. It's the pennant. That's all it is. It's the pennant. But thanks to Fox and ESPN and everyone else, well, we'll change the name to fit our mold. Oh, screw you guys. I don't give two shits. Your opinions don't matter. It's the pennant. And I just love how they get shirts now for winning their division, then winning their playoff game, and then, you know, what? we're just going to start giving participation trophies for winning games now. Stop watering it down. You get a shirt and a cap when you win the pennant. That's it. It's all you need. Idiots. But if they don't get a hitting and a batting coach, I mean – excuse me, a hitting and a pitching coach, 
this is all mute. It doesn't matter what players they get because uh, I did. I think I heard that they got rid of the hitting coach. Well, it's about damn time his lifetime average was what Ortez was two thirty six. Yeah, that's who I want teaching my guys how to bat two thirty six. And I think he had something like one home run and five RBIs. That's the hitting coach for the Texas Rangers. Well, look at what their batting average was during the year, and it's right there where their hitting coach was. That turned out well. And as far as their two pitching coaches, one never pitched, and the other one was in the minors for like a year or two. Who the hell hired these clowns? Was that John Daniels? Idiot. So you've got to get – those are key positions. You have to fill them. Oh, and they let Wakamatsu go. Okay. It happens. I mean, we he was the bench coach. Now, what impact did he have on the players? Well, you never really hear about the bench coaches. That's just the way it is. They're quiet. They run drills. They deal with the players, but so who are they going to bring in? I don't know. The way John Daniels and Chris Woodward are picking players, they might get Mickey Mouse or Minnie Mouse for that matter to be politically correct to be the bench coach. Hell, maybe they'll do a better job. I don't know. Okay, John Gruden. Let's talk about Mr. Gruden. This was kind of interesting because where I live, one of our residents was on the uh, practice squad for three years. And he did get to play, I think he said, in like a handful of games before he had a catastrophic knee injury. And after the surgery, the doctor said, well, you can still play football. However, if you re-injure that knee, you won't be walking anymore. So he bowed out and the Raiders started off really good three and oh, and then they lost two in a row. And I said, well, Tommy, what do you think about this? He said, Gruden needs to go. And that was Sunday evening. And what happens Monday morning? John Gruden resigned. And ESPN, the mouthpiece of BLM was all fired up because I don't that's the station 1033 in Dallas is ESPN well that's you know when you're driving around town you can listen to the games and I hadn't changed the station and these three morning stooges come on and they're all jumping up and down and raising hell that they want to hear from Mark Davis, and they don't want to hear from players, and they don't want to hear from other people in the organization that Mark Davis needs to make a decision. And then they went as far to say that Mark Davis has the same racial beliefs that John Gruden does. Prove it. That's slander, girls. And I hope Mark Davis has some of that fire that his dad Al did and goes, uh, you just slandered me, you're liable, and I'm going to sue the living shit out of you. So, what exactly did John Gruden do 
to get all of this R. Well, I did find a user article that talked about it. Gruden resigned Monday saying in a statement issued by the NFL, I love the Raiders and do not want to be a distraction. Thank you to all the players, coaches, staff, blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry I never meant to hurt anyone. On Friday, revealed Wall Street Journal revealed a 2011 email in which Gruden used a racist trope in reference to the black leader of the Players Union. It was that comment for which Gruden apologized Sunday. By Monday, the New York Times was out with more, a lot more. The resignation followed shortly. The Times reports that a separate workplace misconduct probe not directly related to Gruden found frequent use of misogynistic, homophobic language and comments by him over a period of several years while he was working for ESPN. Oh, he worked for ESPN and was talking like this, and ESPN didn't have a problem with it. Well, that was probably before 2016 where everything went to shit. So what did they list? Homophobic and transphobia. He spoke ill of the drafting of gay football player Michael Sam. I believe he was from Missouri. Saying the coach shouldn't have been pressured to draft queers. He also used homophobic language to mock others in the league and mocked Caitlyn Jenner after she transitioned to a female. Hell, I mock her or it or what. So what? So he doesn't agree with Bruce Jenner becoming a girl. Get over it. I don't either. But remember, she got, she, she, whatever it is, got ESPN gave her an SB for being so brave and courageous. Well, hell, living with the Kardashians, I'd have probably shot myself instead of gotten a sex change. What the hell? What a crazed group of females, and now he's one of them. Misogyny. He was unhappy with females becoming referees and shared a sexist memo on the matter. He also exchanged emails with photos of nearly naked women, including two Washington team cheerleaders. Okay, so what were the photos? Because if you look at the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, you can say the same thing. They're half naked. And if you look at Facebook, how much of that crap is out there? Remember uh, Brett Favre with his pictures of the little New York Jet intern? I do. Where's all the hatred for that? And hell, his wife was going through breast cancer during his stint in New York. Don't hear him hammering Brett, do you? Language. He referred to NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell as the homophobic F-slur, as well as a misogynistic slur, which he also used against others in the league and even Joe Biden. Well, hell, we're all calling Joe Biden a bunch of shit, and what the hell did they call Trump? They made it very clear, especially ESPN, how much they hated Donald Trump and called him everything but a white man. But that was okay. He used other offensive language to describe others connected to the league. Well, it's a very offensive league right now, run by Roger Liberal Goodell in his PC platform. In fact, I haven't noticed it because I haven't watched any San Francisco 49er games if they've got that BLM flag in Levi Stadium. And I reported on that last uh, summer. I've got a video on YouTube at Director 59 
where don't mix my sports and your politics and putting that flag up there is doing the exact thing. So far, we've been really lucky. There haven't been any incidents at stadiums. That is a plus. So maybe they put policies out. Don't you come in here with anything political on your shirts because we're not going to have it, which is a smart move. Not that I can believe someone actually had the foresight to make such a uh, statement, but uh, I said it many times. If I go to a Ranger game, I don't give a damn about the person sitting next to me who they voted for. All I care about, are you wearing a Tigers jersey or Ranger jersey? And then we can have a debate about who the best team is. But if I'm wearing a Trump shirt and you're wearing a Biden shirt, it's just going to hit the fan. And that's not what sports is about. That is our escape to get away from the daily crap that we are fed 24-7 if you sit there and watch the news all the time and believe everything verbatim what's coming out of their pompous, airheaded mouths. I don't care what station it is. It's all the same. Okay, health. He criticized the league's work to reduce concussions, believing it was scaring parents into keeping kids away from the sport. Now, I might have a problem with that. <clears throat> we know CTI is real. We know many players have suffered from it. But it's more of when I played baseball in Delaware, which I was horrible at, I, I because one, I couldn't see, and I didn't know I couldn't see, and we didn't find that out until we moved to Tulsa. But there's a reason Jeff couldn't hit, catch, and catch. I could throw the ball. Well, no, I couldn't throw the ball because I still couldn't see. There's a reason I couldn't do the three basic things. I couldn't see. But, uh, damn. We had a player, two brothers. The first one got hit by a baseball in the face and it broke his nose. And I remember the second brother. I don't remember their names. But he was fielding a fly ball, and we've all done it. He dropped his glove, and it hit his face, and it broke his nose, too. And her, their mom went nuts. And I remember this. This was uh 59 years ago no 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 no. uh 50 about 50 years ago and their mom was screaming the whole way that their boys were never going to play baseball again and it was dangerous and blah 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 and we could hear because they drove a convertible she was yelling the whole way taking her boy to the hospital i don't think they ever came back but That's a hazard of baseball. It's like when I was coaching a team in Kaufman, I had these two brothers, Josh and BJ Taylor, and their mom came over and their dad. And the mom, Susan, wanted to hit infield. And uh, she was hitting it, and she hit a ball, and it took a bad bounce. And I think it was BJ smacked him right in the face. And she threw down the bat and said, I'm done but it's a hazard of the game. Football, 
is a contact sport. It's a physical contact sport. People are going to get hurt. So if John criticized this, I would probably disagree with them in the sense that they're just letting the parents know that concussions are part of this business. And I know about concussions because I ran into a goalpost when I was 14 without a helmet. It was during gym class. We are playing flag football. And I was about to intercept a pass. And I could see the ball. It was coming right into my hands. And then that's all I, that was it. Lights went out. My head made contact with that metal goalpost. Guess what didn't move? And I remember my mom taking me to the doctor's office and all of them are looking at it going, ooh, look at the size of that goose egg. And they're poking at it. Hell, it was. It was the size of a small baseball. It was horrible. And I was sick for the next three days throwing up. But that didn't stop me from going back out there and playing again. It's just I had to make sure where the goalpost is. Because, Jeff, the goalpost won't move. And let's see, the last thing, he did not think players kneeling during the national anthem should be tolerated and said one player should be fired for doing so. He criticized the idea of forcing the Washington football team to change its former name, which some Native Americans considered a slur, and he mocked the idea of the NFL players promoting racial equity and criminal justice reform, and I will agree with that. It's still the Washington Redskins in my book. And as I said earlier, I would have been interested to see if someone listening to Mr. Williams would have taken a knee during the Pledge of Allegiance and what he would have said to them. This is the United States. You don't like it, get out. We have our faults. We aren't perfect, but desecrating our flag, and, and that was one of his big points, and desecrating this country because you don't like this and you don't like that, that's not what America was built on. You might not like what we did to the Indians. My father was Cherokee, but he celebrated his heritage. He had family from Florida that were Cherokee and Seminole that we went to visit. They weren't bitching and moaning about the Trail of Tears. They were more worried about what it was going to cost to put these two cat diesel engines in their new boat. They had both worked for the railroad. They were very successful. They had a good life. They weren't bitching and moaning about what happened to their ancestors. They made the best of it. That's what Americans have always done. They try and make the best of a bad situation. Yes, this was wrong. Now, how do we move forward? If we want to stay in the past and live in the past, then go ahead, live in the past. If you think you live on land that was taken from the Indians, then get your whole neighborhood to sell and move out. Go someplace where the land wasn't stolen, or so you say, if you feel that strongly about it. But you won't find a liberal one to do that. They'll bitch and moan about it, but if they're actually living on what used to be Indian territory, do you think they're going to sell and go move into a swamp? Well, that could have been Indian territory. 
go out on an island in the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, that could have been someone's territory. It's what man has done from the beginning. Land has always been a prize. I don't care what country and what empire it was. Empires were built on the acquisition of land. And they acquired it through war. That is the history of mankind in any on any continent. It's always been land. So these arguments that I hear today just make me sick. They really do. They're useless. We are not a perfect country, but we are a hell of a lot better than anybody else. And if you don't like that, leave. The door's open. How many of those people said they were going to leave when Trump was elected in 16? Did they leave? No, because they can't get it better anyplace else. They can't make the type of money that they make here anyplace else. They are the hypocrites. Okay. So, John, I don't let you go because the team really hasn't gelled under you. And I don't think it would. It would have. Go back to Florida. Go back to doing your videos. Bringing in potential draft picks. Schooling them on what the NFL is all about and what's it going to take for you to be a better quarterback or a better player because you were very good at that. You won't be missed. Sad but true, but it happens to all of us. Okay, that's enough on John. What happened at Surfside, Florida, folks? Anybody remember that story? Or has it escaped your mind? Remember the condo collapse that captured the nation for like two weeks? And DeSantos and Cavo and Schultz said, we are going to hold people responsible and we're going to get to the bottom of this. Have you heard any reports on what caused the collapse? The answer is no. Why is that? That's a real good question. Why haven't they ascertained what brought the, that building down? Now, they did shut down another one in similar in construction. Well, Texas, the city of Allen, luckily didn't have as devastating of a problem, but they had a problem in a 60 brand new $60 million high school football stadium. Yeah. Let that sink in $60 million for a high school football stadium. <clears throat> they started noticing cracks. Somebody noticed the scoreboard was about to fall down. They shut the stadium down. So while the school board, because it was a bond project, was looking into it and their construction group and the general contractor were looking into it, they really weren't getting anywhere. So the state of Texas stepped in, Austin got involved, 
they got all the documents they needed within three months. They said exactly what happened and who was responsible, and you're going to fix it. Well, Florida, what seems to be your problem? Why haven't you addressed this yet? That's the question. Who's investigating the collapse? Well, I'm sure OSHA was out there because there were deaths, but this wasn't a job under construction. So is it the uh, Florida DOT that's looking into it? Or that, that's the question. Who's looking into this? Who is trying to determine what caused the collapse? Texas did it. Florida, you need to get on board. You need to get an answer to that problem. So if there are a lot of other structures built by, say, designed by the same architect and the the chances of it being the same contractor are thin unless there were backdoor deals, but they need to find out real, they need to find out what caused it and it, and get a determination. So if there are other buildings with similar construction techniques, it can be addressed before another 50 people die. So y'all need to get on the stick and get this resolved. Oh, good Lord. Kamala Harris NASA video. What a crock of shit. I didn't even know about this because like I said earlier, I didn't watch much news, but I would see snippets here and there, whether it was Facebook or something else <coughs> about this, that it was not normal kids. It was child actors. Well, duh. I actually watched the, was it like six minutes and 34 seconds of crap, Ola? Maybe ESPN will give Kamala an ESPY for crap, Ola. I think that'd be real fitting. You could tell it was staged. These kids, you know, they look at their phone and they've got NASA on speed dial, my ass. And the script was horrible. But... She did this on American taxpayers' dime. She's getting paid to do this. Who was it? YouTube, I think, came up with, with this brilliant idea with all these child actors and how great NASA is and blah, blah, blah. It was horrible. Horrible. I understand getting kids excited about science and space exploration but uh listening to her cackle and i did like it when she said well i have i have more information because one of the kids asked her a question and i I didn't write it down because that's how uninterested i was in the whole thing but uh you know what advice would you give and she didn't answer the kid's question which was like who wrote the script and she gave her BS opinion, and I'm thinking, well, are you going to tell the little girls to go out and buy knee pads and you go far? I'm sure that had gone over well. Well, it was good enough for Kamala, so pass on your carnal knowledge to the youth, you twit. Good Lord. And when they 
intro what when the kids were talking about her uh in all of her titles and what she was you know the one they didn't bring up that she was the Porter's are. Gee, I wonder why. Because it's a complete and utter failure. Why would we want to bring that up? A complete and utter failure. Yeah, you're in charge of immigration and it's completely out of control. The borders are sealed and you are failing miserably. We can't talk about that. But hey, I wonder if she gave out knee pads afterwards. And in the general neutral time, maybe she gave them to the boys too. Hell, I don't know. That was such a crock video. And it was so poorly directed. I mean, the Brady Bunch was better than that. Idiots, 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 idiots. But yeah, it was, you know, it's on taxpayer money. Remember when Trump did his timeline of how he had addressed the COVID breakout and what he had done up. And it was this, I don't know, three or four minute video. The press didn't talk about that because he was blowing them out of the water with their ridiculous claims and comments. And, but they all had the same lead story. He did this on American taxpayer money. He did it on American taxpayer money. Well, well, where the hell is the media hammering on her that this was on taxpayer money? It's non-existent. I have to turn my AC down. Hang on. Where's all the criticism for that? Well, it's non-existent because it goes against the grain. Bullshit. Hypocrisy. That's all it is. It's ridiculous. That was that I just wanted to throw up. Okay. I got some names here that I'm going to, and some events, and I just want you to think about them. Cannon Hennett, David Dorn, Burnell Trammell, and the two deputies in L.A. County. And Trump described that shooting, animals that must be hit hard. What's going on with those people? I don't know. You see any stories on it? Remember Bernal Trammell? He was the black guy in Minneapolis that was a preacher at a store on a corner, would stand outside his store and preach and was shot in cold blood. And he was and he supported Trump. Cannon Hennett was the young boy, and I believe it was Florida, where the black man neighbor came out and shot him in the head. David Dorn. The black retired officer that went to protect his Oriental friend's jewelry store was murdered in cold blood. Where's the justice for them? 
And I was looking it up the other day. We've already lost 49 police officers this year. Why in the media hollering about that? Oh, because they want to defund the police. Well, why don't we defund your stations? I wonder how many lawsuits it would take to break MSNBC, CNN, ABC, CBS to where they finally wake the hell up and start reporting the news instead of their opinion, opinionated, unsubstantiated facts. I wonder if that will ever happen. Yeah, and there's times Fox does the same thing. I don't give anybody a pass. I call them out for what they are. Overpaid, opinionated bobbleheads. That's it. We don't get news anymore. They don't follow through with stories. They can't wait to cover something like they did Surfside, and then they can't wait to leave. And they don't care who they destroy in the process. They don't care. Because they call that responsible journalism. There is no such thing anymore. It doesn't exist. Opinions are not facts. And when all these networks bring in their anchors for analysis. What type of crap is that? What are you analyzing? Your ass? That's about it. I mean, what is it? I think Ainsley makes like $2 million a year and Tucker's at like 4 or 5 and Handy's at 10 For what? Bill Maurer's at $10 million. For what? Crap. And I mentioned this in another episode where when they weren't having studio audiences, Bill Maher really looked stupid when he told his jokes because no one laughed and he didn't get all this great applause. They must have at least half a dozen barkers in the audience prompting everyone to applaud or laugh or this, that, and the other. It's not even entertainment. I don't know what the hell you call it other than Kamala's video. Crapola. ESPN can give Bill Maurer an SB for Crapola. And he'd probably think that's the greatest award he ever got, dumbass. Okay. The vaccine debate. Like I said, I got my second shot, but I'm not jumping up and down about it and posting it on Facebook and showing everyone, oh, look at me, look at me, we can do this together, blah, 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 blah. So I went and looked up just a little bit of history, and if there were other times where there were anti-vax movements because I remember one recently before COVID, but I had to go back 
and let's see, if we go back to the 1800s, and I found this on history of anti-vaccination movements. So put that in your search and see what pops up. But uh, smallpox, you think that was highly accepted? Let's see, in the 1800s, Edward Jenner's cowpox experiments in which he showed that he could protect the child from smallpox if he infected him or her with limp from a cowpox blister. Jennifer's ideas were novel for this time, obviously. However, and they were met with immediate public criticism. Gee, we've heard that before. For some parents, the smallpox vaccination itself induced fear and protest. Does that sound familiar? Some objectors, including the local clergy, believe that the vaccine was unchristian because it came from an animal. For other anti-vaccinators, their discount with the smallpox vaccine reflected their general distrust in medicine and in general's, Jenner's ideas about disease spread. Now, who was the first one to really go after the smallpox or try and do something with it? That was George Washington's general surgeon. Because his men were getting hit with it hard at Valley Forge. And he came up with the idea, hey, let me take these pustules and put it in an infected arm and see if that stops it. And it did. But it was experimental. And it took over a century to perfect it. So th then they get into uh, the Vaccina Vaccination Act of 1853, ordered mandatory vaccination for infants up to three months old. <clears throat> and the Act of 1867 extended the age requirement to 14 years, adding penalties for vaccine refusal. Doesn't address the adults. Are you catching this? It doesn't address the adults. It's the young, and that's what the United States went through. But so there's one, the smallpox and anti-vaccination league in the United States. The same deal. Uh, founded in 1879, following a visit to America by leading British anti-vaccination William Tebb. Two other leagues, the New England Anti-Compulsory Vaccination League and the Anti-Vaccination League of New York City, 1885, followed. The American anti-vaccination waged court battles to repeal vaccination laws in several states, including California, Illinois, and Wisconsin. Does this not sound familiar? Are we not going through the same thing right now? And everyone is posting these memes about how widely accepted they were. Well, it's crap and it's wrong and you need to pull your head out. You need to do a little research. I know that just floors people. Research, re, well, what research? Research is kind of like that '80s movie. I forgot the title of it, but the kid wanted to ride a bike, and he adored the uh, Italian racing team. And his dad sold used cars, and this kid brought it in, and his son told the guy, oh, "We'll give you a refund." And the dad's like, "Refund, refund, refund!" And he's about to go in cardiac arrest over a refund. But this is nothing new. And so that's the early 20th century. And then you had the diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis controversy. 
these things aren't new. And that was in the 70s. And even in the, you know, measles, mumps, and rubella. England was against the sale of anti-vaccination activity, this time regarding the MMR vaccine. I got that. A British doctor, Andrew Wakefield, recommended further investigation of a possible relationship between bowel disease, autism, and the MMR vaccine. And that was because there was, where is it real quick? Is this the one that had a percentage of mercury in it? No, green are vaccines. I remember going to a chiropractor and they were anti-vaxxers on anything that if you're properly adjusted, that your body's immune system will fight off any disease. Well, I didn't buy into that. Yes, if you get adjusted, it does help your immune system improve dramatically and it helps you walk, which I've been under the care of a chiropractor going on 35 years because without it for a lot of days I wouldn't have been able to walk and there were days I couldn't walk and that's why I had to go because my back would kink up I'd draw over to the right hell I couldn't get around sometimes with crutches it was so painful but they were against vaccines in general so this is nothing new and you know they were talking about mercury was one of the uh Thimerosal was in vaccines, which is, I believe, mercury-based, and they were saying it causes autism. So there were a lot of parents saying, we don't want that in our kids. Anybody remember that? I do. My kids were in school when all this was going down. No, I wanted my kids to get the shots. I knew what polio could do. I knew what smallpox could do and diphtheria and measles, mumps, and rubella. These are not fun diseases, and they can have dire consequences, so my kids were vaccinated. But even when the polio vaccine came out, the only way to get the country vaccinated was they made it mandatory for school-aged children. I covered that in another episode but not for the general population. It was for this, we got to start somewhere. We're going to start with the kids. And that's what they did. Parents didn't want it. Parents didn't get it. And now Joe Biden is trying to ram it down our throat. And what is it? Like four and a half million people might lose their jobs because they don't want to take the shot. What type of shit is this? What the hell is going on? Do you not study history? and how you combat something like this, go ahead and piss off the parents and see what happens. Go ahead and throw them on the streets and see what happens. You want to start civil unrest, then keep doing what you're doing, Bozo Joe. Look at the history of how vaccinations were distributed worldwide and where they started. And how they come, how they stop these diseases. They did it with the kids. Now I know there is a lot of argument about kids getting the shot. Because it is, I mean, let's be honest, it's not even a 
what, maybe uh, the first shots were given in December of last year. So we're 10 months in. What history do we have? So someone might say, well, Jeff, why the hell did you get the shot? That's for me to know. I did it for a reason. My reasons are not your reasons. I'm not going to tell you to do something. I'm not going to tell you why you should and why you shouldn't. It is a personal choice. And Joe Biden is taking that away. And by God, that is in our Constitution. We have a choice. And that article that I was reading from, those what that was the argument many people made. I know what's best for me. But in today's world, when you say that, oh, you're selfish if you don't get the shot, or you're a threat to society if you don't get the shot, or I don't want to be near you. I know a guy that lives here that he likes like everyone who didn't get the shot is a plague. Well, then stay the hell away. Can you do that? Stay away. Do you think I'm going to tell him I got the shot? No, none of his damn business. But they want to make it their business. And this has been politicized by the politicians and by the media. That it's okay to call your neighbor out, to turn your neighbor in, to shame your neighbor. Gee, isn't that what Adolf Hitler did with the Jews and their neighbors? It doesn't matter that your families have been friends for decades. It doesn't matter that you've traded with them every day. It doesn't matter that you've gone to their children's birthday parties or you've come over and broken bread together. That doesn't matter. Now they're your enemy. Why are they my enemy? Because I told you they are your enemy. And people believed it. And they didn't stand up. When their neighbors started disappearing, I'm not saying that's going to happen in America, but I'm saying the path is very identical. <clears throat> they made the Jews a target. And it took, it took a few years. This didn't happen overnight like the memes you see on Facebook from people that just don't know what the hell they're doing. They're just copying and pasting and copying and pasting because it supports their opinion. I've talked about that in the past. I don't do that shit. Because it's not substantiated and hasn't been researched. But the similarities are there. Sadly. So we're going to have the vaccinated people turn on the unvaccinated. Well, go study your history. Do you think our parents got the polio vaccine? If they're in the military, they got every vaccine there is because that's just the way it is. And you don't ask questions. But in the 50s, parents didn't want to get a shot that had polio in it, but they wanted their kids in school. So you're going to get this shot. Okay, they can get it, but I'm not. Defeated polio started with the children. Now, does there need to be more research on these, on this current vaccine? Yes. But we've got to start somewhere. But shaming people will not combat the disease. It just won't work.
what you will do is we're already divided enough. You're just driving that wedge deeper and deeper in the division. And who benefits from that? No one. Can, I can see fights breaking out over that. If little Johnny has a birthday party and he wants Susie to come over and Susie hasn't gotten the shot and Johnny's parents are pro-vaccine, Susie can't come over. Well, that's my girlfriend. We don't care. They can't come over. And now Susie's parents are going to go, what seems to be the problem here? You know, last week we had a cookout and you all came over. We didn't have a problem, but we can't come over to your house. You know, because you haven't had the damn shot. So get the hell off my land. Don't you come back until you've got a shot or a card to prove that. What the hell is that? We're going to start carrying papers now? And in some cases, people are. So, yes, there are some similarities between... Hitler turning the population, the Aryan population, against the Jews. This shit's got to stop. But our current administration doesn't have a clue what they're doing. They, they have no clue. Build back better my ass. For those of you that haven't watched the movie or read the book, Atlas Shrugs, I suggest you do. I think the movie, and it's a free download on YouTube, is like, I don't know, three, maybe four hours. It's not a great film by any stretch of the imagination, but the message is solid. And no, I haven't read her book because it's like, hell, it's almost as long as Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. So I doubt I'm going to read that anytime soon. But uh, the bottom line is America collapses because of massive, government regulations and that's all i see coming out of the biden administration is bigger bigger government and only those at the top are going to survive and they're going to thrive and everyone else the hell with i don't know what they're smoking but it's the wrong brand okay if you've got any comments, you can call in at 888-627-6008 or 323-744-4831. Dallas Cowboys. Oh, God, I need to bite my tongue. I'm a Packers fan, and the sooner Aaron Rodgers leaves, the happier I'll be. And in fact, one of my buddies uh, said he's possibly going to Pittsburgh next year. Oh, that's all Pittsburgh needs is Aaron Rodgers. So when Aaron leaves, I'll be happy with the Packers. I'm tired of his whiny liberal ass. Yeah, he's an L.A. boy. Well, he needs to go back there with Gabe Kapler and the rest of them. But the Dallas Cowboys, I am a realist. I was a realist today until Oklahoma State won. Yes, yes, they won it. But the Dallas Cowboys, 
they've never been my favorite team. My dad loved them. And I've got all the original Dallas Cowboy cheerleader posters. He made sure that those came into the house. And then let's just say mom was not a supporter of the cheerleaders. So I really didn't care. It's like, it's my room. Stay out. Go away. So I could appreciate the cheerleaders. I just didn't give a damn about the football team. They had great players, and I respected that. But I didn't like them because of Pat Summerall. When the Cowboys were playing the Niners and losing something like 49 to 17, and I think I was 14 years old, and Pat Summerall's talking about how great the Dallas Cowboys are. And I was like, really? Are you just stupid? They're getting their ass handed to them, and you're talking about how great they are? That was the day I really turned against them. If that's the type of announcers they're going to have that just won't call a spade a spade and say, our team sucks, what are you going to do? Not much. What are you going to do? But this year, it's early in the season. The Cowboys have to be one of the top three teams in the NFC, hands down. They've got the offense. They've got the defense. But they've got what the Rangers don't have. They've got a top offensive coordinator in Kellum. And, damn, I forgot their defensive coordinator. But they know the players they have. They have designed plays that they will excel at. And they are a complete team right now. That defense is a 1,000% better than last year. They were horrible. I mean, what does Diggs have? Six interceptions? And he's going for a record if he has another one tomorrow? Against the Patriots, which I think they will absolutely trounce the Patriots. Bill Belichick's, he's a great coach, but after a 20-year brilliant run, he's doing what every coach has to. They are rebuilding, and that takes time. But Belichick is a patient man. He will take the time. But the Cowboys are good. That's it. Anyone who says they aren't, switch brands because you're smoking the wrong crap. And I bite my tongue when I say that, but it is what it is. They're good. Will I watch the game tomorrow? Not if there's a baseball game on. In fact, speaking of which, Boston and Houston have started. We are in the, what is that? Top of one, Boston's got one on. I'm sure the MLB will come after me with pitchforks and knives because you don't have the consent of Major League Baseball to talk about our game loss being televised. Yeah, blow it out your ass. Okay. Last topic I've got is the Cyber Ninja Report. Remember all of that? In the Maricopa County audit, well, it's 94 pages long, and I've got 12 of those pages because a lot of it is just, I didn't, it was just lists and lists and lists, and a lot of this is what the legislature needs to do. So I've tried to pick out, and I hate doing that. I hate cherry picking. I'm not going to call it that, but 
<coughs> excuse me, some of the highlights. But before I do that, I want to go back to the spreadsheet that I developed after the election. And I posted this on Facebook. And it was amazing how many liberal associates said, well, if your numbers are right, the media would be looking into it. So in the presidential election, this is the percentage of registered voters that voted in the general election. Georgia, 65%. Pennsylvania, 88. Wisconsin, 88. Arizona, 78. Michigan, 68. Nevada, 86. Now, if that doesn't raise an eyebrow, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Nevada that over 86% of registered voters cast a vote when on the average, even during the Reagan years, I did some numbers on that, it was like 60% of Americans voted. And you got three states, almost 90%. That alone should have raised some eyebrows. But did it? No. Not at all. So their report, they've got this summary table. And they came up with, what, one, two, three, four categories. Critical, high, medium, and low. In other words, in the critical these amount of votes are very questionable and they could have affected the outcome because you got to remember that, let's see, where's that number? Trump lost Georgia by 11,000, Pennsylvania 81, Wisconsin 20, Arizona 10, Michigan 154, and Nevada, 33. So in Arizona, there's 10,000 votes separating those two. Now, it doesn't matter what this audit shows or what conclusions it come up, come up with, even if I think Pennsylvania's interested in looking into theirs. Michigan, I think, has some questions. Wisconsin. Georgia, no, they're not doing anything in Georgia. Now, remember, this took, uh, what was it, five months? So, on the critical list, mail-in ballots. Now, this is just Maricopa County. 23,344 are questionable. That's that's critical. High is 14,000. Medium is let's see three five seven about twelve thousand but the medium they're not really worried about that but the top three categories that's thirty seven thousand six hundred and eighty and trump loses by ten thousand so the knee-jerk reaction is well all those votes would have gone to trump and he'd have won nevada he still wouldn't have won the race though because that was how many electoral votes? Let's see. 
Nevada. Oh, damn, I didn't put them down. Six. So that's six electoral votes. That doesn't change the outcome. Nothing, and folks, nothing's going to change the outcome of the election. Because I did see a clip where I guess it was uh, Arizona. Oh, that's right. It was Arizona. Not bad, Jeff, dumbass. What was Arizona? 11. Yeah, 11 electoral votes. Um, Decertify the election. Really? Give me a break. Decertify it. What the hell are you all smoking? You know, it's not going to change. It's just like all the crap with Obama and his birth certificate. And he's not a U.S. citizen. He served two terms. So how did that argument work out? Well, it didn't. It fell flat. This will fall flat, too. (coughs) Excuse me. In this cough, one of the side effects is a lot of congestion as my body builds antibodies for the virus. Of course, my smoking isn't helping the cause, but then with the, you know, even I can have a dumbassery moment. I just need to quit. And we're getting there. So the Cyber Ninja report, there are a lot of numbers in it. And I'll be honest, I had a little trouble disseminating a lot of it because they they throw a lot of percentages in like on this, on the total ballots, uh, the Democratic Party, the following chart illustrates the percentage of voters by registered party that the ballot impacted number represents. This should give a rough idea on the impact to the electorate if the votes were cast by the voters and not another party that was somehow able to cast a vote. Now you figure out what that means. And they've got Democrat 34%, Republican 30%. Prefer not to declare thirty percent. So who the hell did they vote for if they chose not to declare? Uh, Jorgensen didn't get a whole lot of votes in Arizona. Uh, independent three point seven, Libertarian one point seven. So if you want to go by percentages, there's only four percent between the Democrat and Republican that could have gone either way, or they had problems with. But the the things that really jumped out, let's see, is this one of them on the, yeah, let me get my other glasses. Final voted file from November 2020 showed that multiple precincts counted votes in excess of the number of voters who participated in the 2020 election. Oh, don't, don't jerk your knee. 277 were under, 65 equal, and 400 with the expected, there were 401 precincts with the expected surplus. What surplus? How do you have a surplus? 
does that mean more votes were received than there were registered voters? And then they have a note, and this was my problem with the report. It's was it's incomplete. Let's just be honest. Even though it's been released, it's incomplete. And there are notes all through this report. We've been informed shortly before the release of this report that some of the discrepancies outlined could be due to the protected voter list. This has not been able to be validated at this time, but we thought it was important to disclose the information for accuracy. How can you release something of accuracy when you don't have all the facts. Now, I don't know what the Arizona Senate paid these people to do this, but that is through the report. So when I saw those legislatures decertified, 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 did you read the report? It's just like the Mueller report. Did you all read it or did you just have knee-jerk reactions based on what the media told you and that's how you deducted your conclusions? Yeah, I'd go with the latter. Who cares about facts anymore? So what else do they have to say? Prior to the start of the audit, members of the audit team conducted research into the paper, ink, toner, and format of the official ballots. As part of the research, the audit team contacted Rubeck, Runbeck CEO to ask several general questions about the ballots used in the 2020 general election. Initially, the CEO agreed to the call, but then asked for the questions in writing. As requested, the audit team sent Mr. Ellington five general questions via email. Mr. Ellington responded to that email and said that Maricopa County instructed him that vendors, even private companies, should not speak with auditors. Maricopa County refused to provide the information about the ballot paper and ballot printing and then interfered with the auditor's communication with Runbeck, a private company that does business with hundreds of other jurisdictions and entities. So now Maricopa County is blocking information that the auditors needed, and that's all through the report. If they had subpoenaed for voter lists, they subpoenaed for everything there was. Maricopa County, democratically run, said, eat shit and die. We are not giving it to you. So they defied court orders. Why would you defy a court order? You make your own determination. So, I mean, what does this report really tell you? Nothing. I mean, it's just, we think this happened. We have a problem with this area. We're not going to give you information. Well, if there's nothing to hide, why don't you have the information? And so it's not this bombshell that we on the right or many on the right were looking for to just blow it out of the water and say the voter fraud was rampant, it's all screwed up. What this report does do is show you how involved our voting procedure is. And now that it's electronic, in many cases, the procedures they have to go through to make sure everything's secure. Now, that alone was eye-opening to me. I never realized how involved 
the counting of votes, the protocols and the securities that are supposed to be in place to protect our vote are in this day and age. It's unbelievable. <clears throat> so it in itself is a major bureaucracy. And when you have a big bureaucracy like we have in D.C. right now, what do you have? Corruption. Now, who are you going to pin it on and who's going to be responsible? There and lies the problem. You got too many hands in the cookie jar and nobody's hand was there when the lid shut. And everyone says, I didn't take one. Even though there were a thousand in there and now there's one left and there's 900 people in the room and everyone says, I didn't take one. Well, since they ate it, there's no evidence. They're gone. Prove it. What are we going to do? Stool samples? <laughs> Hell, freeze over for that shit happened. But that, that's what's in the report. I mean, what else do they have to say here? And an auditor's access to or control of all equipment used in connection with the administration of the 2020 election. In a second subpoena dated July 26, 2021, the county was ordered to provide all reports, findings, and other documents concerning the voter registration breach. The response from county claims that they are not aware of a breach. Claiming that this breach was nothing more than unauthorized access to public data has not been supported with evidence. According to a news article published December 4, 2020, Maricopa County confirmed voter data had been stolen and that a federal investigation was underway. CISA considers voter registration systems to be critical infrastructure and thus requires states and counties to implement the highest levels of security. The only way to ensure that there is one vote for every legally registered voter is careful control of the voter registration database, and they do not have, have access to the voter database. So once again, if you don't have access to it, how can you verify who was eligible? I mean, because in the numbers that I came up with, in Arizona, there were 4,281,152,000 registered voters. 3,333,829 voted. Now, and then this was interesting. So that was the presidential. What about the Senate? Because they had a Senate race. Why did more people vote in the Senate race? About 20,000 more. And in the House, there was, did I do a, was it 947,000? Let's see, in the House race, 64,000 fewer votes than the presidential. And when I looked at those numbers, it's like, so what? You went in and just voted for the president? But you didn't vote for a House representative? And then you got 21,000 that voted for the senators and not the president? Does that make sense to you? And that's across the board. Let's see, what was it in Georgia? Georgia was closer, but again. 4,935,487 for the presidential race. There were 
this is a shocker. Uh, do the math real quick. Twenty seventeen thousand more votes for the Senate race. Oh, sixteen thousand more. Sixteen thousand more voted in the Senate race than the presidential race. And then when it came to the House, that was another. Let's see, fifty thousand fewer, and that's what you see all through these numbers. It's like so. I mean, did it happen in Michigan? No, in Michigan, fewer voted in the Senate by seventy-seven thousand. Yet. And then the House race, okay, it was even less than that for the House race, 145,000. Which I can see that people voted for the president, but they didn't understand the Senate and the House racers. They didn't give two shits and just said the hell with it. Voted for the president and walked out. But in the states where more voted for their senators than the president, that makes no sense. And those are just raw numbers that. You know, when I did my comparisons, nothing added up. It still doesn't add up. It will never add up. We will never know the true numbers of the 2020 presidential election. But I will say this. Do not let Trump run in 2024. Why? Because he's going to be 78 years old. Let him get behind someone like DeSantis. I don't want him behind Cruz. I don't want Cruz as president. No, no, don't even think that. Or Abbott. We need youth. We need. We don't need a one and done. We need youth. Trump, let, just throw it out there. Trump wins. It's going to be another one and done. That's a, that's a done deal. That's all that's going to happen. It's going to be four years of media harassment. It's going to be horrible. We thought... 16 to 20 was bad. Oh, shit. You just wait for 24 to 28. It's going to be horrible. They're going to make up so much shit and make your head spin. And since it's a popularity contest in D.C., he's going to be fighting with the Republicans again. We don't need that. He was, every place he turned, everyone was against him. And I've stated it many times. Personally, I don't like the guy, but I loved his policies. And I wouldn't drink a cup of coffee with him unless I knew he was paying for it. Why? Because he's a developer and I've worked for developers and I know how they operate. I really do. All right. The last thing. This is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And this was my fiance, Debbie Jane Eck Larson. This is our book, Love's True Second Chance. And I'm going to read the opening poem. Those of you who know me, you know the story. 
Debbie and I reunited after 30 years. Every 10 years, I would put a business card in her parents' mailbox, and I didn't hear anything. In December, I think it was 6th of 2008, I took one more chance, smoked half a pack of cigarettes, scared to death, scared to death of putting a business card in the mailbox. I don't know if her parents still live there, but I took a chance. And two weeks later, I received a phone call at work, which is not the place to call me because I was thinking this was going to be a bad call and it was going to be bad news. And I was going to be pissed, but all the voice said was, Jeff, this is Debbie. And I'm thinking, Debbie, who the hell is Debbie and what does she want? Who does she work for? I don't know this person. So my mind's spinning. It got real quiet. And she said it again, Jeff, this is Debbie. And that light bulb that had been dim for so long went off in my head. This is a woman I need to talk to. She's not a girl anymore. And the text dot project manager in my office, and I looked at him and said, get the hell out. I've waited 30 years for this phone call. And that would turn into the most intense seven-month love affair I've ever had. We lived a lifetime of love in seven months because sadly on July 20th, 2009, her breast cancer took her. And when it came back, it came back with a vengeance. So for you gals out there, and even you men, you don't want to go through that. Yeah, she's a stat now. She's one of the 35,000. She was mine, and I was hers. And I would give anything to have more time with her, but it wasn't meant to be. So we enjoyed the time we had, but get your checkups. Get your regular checkups, because you don't want to go through this. You don't want to go through the chemo. You don't go through the radiation. I mean, I watched what it did to her. I didn't, I wasn't there for the chemo portion because she'd been diagnosed in May. So when we got back together, she was done with that. She still had the port in her chest, but she was still had like two or three radiation treatments and those just sapped the hell out of her. I took her to one appointment when we left. I, I just shook my head going, Debbie, how have you done this by yourself? Because she wasn't big at asking for help at all. And all she said was, I just had to do it. I didn't have a choice. Well, that day she had a choice. And I took her home. I had to help her into the van. I took her home. And I think she slept for 14 hours. I was like, I didn't know the effects of radiation treatment. I got to see it firsthand because her cancer was extensive. And it was even more so when she was re-diagnosed in April of that year. Okay. 
where have you gone? I remember those carefree days, the girlish happy smile, the days of high school where only our love mattered. The bus rides to the games and back, trips to the river bridge where our thoughts were one. The nights filled with passion in the truck, the moonlight dancing off our sweat-covered bodies. Our paths parted in a sea of tears, the hurt, the pain of the past, always just under the surface. A flash of sunlight, a familiar smile met with pain and hostility. The smile vanishes, the pain and hurt boil up, yet the feelings of love never lost, only suppressed. A trip to Tulsa, a business card in a mailbox, a phone call two weeks later and the past awakens. The smile, the pain, the hurt, the memories pouring like a raging river out of its banks. Is it worth the chance? Is it worth opening the heart again? Is it worth another trip to the unknown? The smile is the same. The feelings of love spring up. The past is forgotten. The present and future are all that matter. Or is it? Seven months of life together. We laugh, we cry, we cry, we love, chasing children, sharing their lives. Strawberries shaking the face, movies from a galaxy long ago. Steaks, chicken, and seasonings grilled to perfection with love. A snowball fight, a walk in the white soft flakes, a pause on the sidewalk. We embrace, kiss long and deep, letting our bodies provide the warmth. The diagnosis, it's back. Consoling the daughters, a call to the parents, a call to the EMTs. The present and the future are slipping away. The final hours of life, only the sounds of deep, painful breathing. The halls are silent. Nothing but thoughts for 30 years circle. The end is closing in. The cancer is tracking its deadly course. A warm hand rubs the chest going cold. The breathing has stopped. The pain is flowing out of her face. The doctor comes in. The verdict is quiet with compassion. I'm so sorry she's gone. Where have you gone? Life has come to a stop. There is nothing that matters anymore. A never forgotten love has been taken in the prime of life. A bench in a cemetery with no one, with no one else around. <clears throat> the tears pour uncontrollably. We cry. Where have you gone? A voice soft and tender floats down. I'm fine. Where have I gone? Where there is no pain. No sadness, a place where the cancer has healed, a place where mistakes of the past have been forgiven, a place where I can look down to watch and help, a place where only love resides, a place, heaven, that is where I have gone. And you can get that on Amazon and either an ebook or paperback, whichever you prefer, but it is a true story, and it's unusual because it's written through a man's eyes, and one of the best part is when I wrote this, I asked her daughters if they'd like to add to it, and the youngest, Amanda, she wrote a poem that I put in my poetry book, Life Spectrum. But the oldest, Jessica, decided 
to do it. And uh, I'll share this with you. This, these were Jessica's thoughts. July 19th, 2009, roughly nine in the morning. I rub my eyes yawning. Staying up all night takes a toll on your body, in case you didn't know. I was so afraid that something would happen. And of course, like everything in my life thus far, something wrong was bound to happen. I heard a crash and I could have sworn my blood froze in my veins. I felt hollow. I'm going to hear my heart thumping wildly in my chest. Please don't have let her. Then I heard it. Mom began to moan. Though I thought it impossible, I flew into action, flying off the floor and knocking quickly on the bedroom door. Wake up, wake up, wake up, I silently begged. I didn't want to have to help her up. I feel bad about that now. I was too afraid even to help her stand. What happened, Jeff asked, worrying his voice. She fell, I think. I listened for her again and heard nothing. Tell her I'll be there in a minute, he told me. What I said next surprised the hell out of me. No, I couldn't even go downstairs to comfort her. That was how alien she seemed to me. No, I can't. Just move. It was all I could think to say. He just had to hurry. I do remember that. She was panicked in her voice. After a few silent seconds, he went downstairs and helped mom back to the couch. I curled up against the wall, rocking slightly. Now, Jessica's only 14. This wasn't how things were supposed to happen. This was all supposed to be over and done with. Apparently not. I grimaced as my words made sense. This was so ironic. She had already beaten it once. Had God made a mistake, given cancer to the same person twice on accident? I was beginning to think so. After a while, it was decided that mom should go back to the hospital. Jeff tried many times to get her to go voluntarily, but she refused, always mumbling the same word. Nope. Sometimes she would scream it. Others would be slurred, but it was always that one word. It was difficult to see her so broken down, so helpless. It was also frustrating. Could she not see that he was only trying to help? She was being so stubborn, like always, but this time she needed the help regardless of what she thought. His efforts were all in vain, and he called for an ambulance. I cringe every time I see one now. I went upstairs to close the doors to my sister's room so she wouldn't wake up and have to see her mother being taken away on an ambulance with, and paramedics. When I went back down, mom was on the floor being moved onto a stretcher. She moaned and I winced. I took a deep breath. I had to be strong right now. I watched fairly calmly as they loaded her into the ambulance. But as I was getting ready to burst into tears, a paramedic came back. Do you know how old she is? He asked a sympathetic look on his face. Uh, 48? Her birthday, he asked professionally, looking down at a strip of paper. Jeff appeared at this moment, February 28, 1961, we answered in unison. Is she taking any medications? The paramedic asked. I glanced at Jeff and raced upstairs, grabbing the Ziploc bag of prescriptions for her. I handed it to him. He thanked us and left. By now, the fact that I was going on 24 hours without sleep was far from my mind. Jeff and I hopped in his truck, and the ride to the hospital was a silent one. I don't think I even reached for the radio dial, a rarity for me. When we put up to the hospital, I followed Jeff's lead walking behind him. She was already in a room looking around her, looking around. Her eyes glazed over with disorientation. They were putting IVs into her arm, and she was freaking out about them. The nurses asked her a few questions. 
Did she know where she was? Did she know what day it was? Then they asked the question that broke my heart. They looked at Jeff. Don't do it, I silently warned, because I already knew the answer. Do you know him, they asked. She looked at him, but it was like she didn't even see him. She shook her head, and I was pretty sure tears came to my eyes at that moment. And then everyone left. Sometimes I wonder what would have happened if they hadn't left me alone with her, because I wouldn't have been this brave if there had been people with me. Maybe one bad memory wouldn't be embedded in my brain. Maybe tears wouldn't come to my eyes as I remember how I walked to her bedside, touched her hand. Maybe I wouldn't remember how I had whispered, and me, Mommy, do you remember me? And maybe I wouldn't remember how she opened her mouth and slowly shut it and shook her head like I was nobody to her. I nodded, resigned, and backed up as a nurse came in. They did things to her while I sat next to her and wrote lyrics to songs in the notebook I'd brought with me. I still have that notebook now that I think about it. Honey, do you want to leave? The nurse asked. I looked up confused. Why in the world would I leave? We're getting ready to put a catheter in it. Yeah, I'm going. I chuckled harmlessly. I'd seen enough of house. I knew what a catheter was in hell if I was going to be there. But it was like the walls made no difference. I could hear her angered screams of, let me go, you're hurting me. The nurses made it worse. They snickered at each other, muttering things about how it couldn't be that bad. Then I think they finally noticed me, hands over my ears, head tucked securely between my knees, trying as hard as I could not to cry. Do you want to watch cartoons? They asked sweetly, like I would accept an offer from the people who were just laughing at my mom. I shook my head. Are you here by yourself? One asked. I shook my head. Her boyfriend is here, I replied. Speaking of which, where the hell was Jeff? I texted him probably three or four times before he finally showed up. He went into the room and calmed her a little. I stayed hunched up against the wall and was relieved that my sister hadn't had to endure this. There was no telling what she'd be going through at this point. They finally finished. I went back to see her. I had a hard time staying awake, seeing I was now past 26 hours awake. Jeff asked us if I wanted to go back home. I accepted. He drove me back home. I put my head down on the side of the couch and passed out that second. Those were Jessica's thoughts. You want your children to go through that? I don't think so. God, that was a hard day. That was a hard day. Gals, you don't want your children to go through that. And I think that's what's missing in a lot of these memoirs is exactly how the kids felt and how it affected them. I mean, I didn't print out a copy of Amanda's poem, but it was just basically... I don't have a mom anymore. She won't see me graduate high school. She won't see me at prom. She won't see me graduate from college. She won't see me get married. I mean, she just listed everything that a mother and daughter would do.
you don't want your children to go through that, gals. I'm telling you. We didn't want to go through it, but we didn't have a choice. <sighs> but I did want to share that because it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And... Uh, Just get your checkups. Guys, convince your girlfriends or your wives to get their checkups. Because I'm telling you, you don't want to be standing there looking at an urn or a casket and wondering if you could have done more. Because that will always eat on you. And that's one reason I wrote our book, just not to detail our love story that started in high school and ended in adulthood, but uh, to get your checkups. Because if you don't, Someone's going to write a story about you much too soon. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. And, you know, I I did, I had a Facebook post about Dawson's Domain did have a good week in donations, but we can always use more because folks, this is how I make my living now. I'm out of construction. I'm doing management seminars. I'm selling my books. And I really didn't get into it, but I'm also an independent Herbalife distributor, which that's going pretty good. I mean, I don't spend a lot of money each month, but I'm losing weight. I'm losing inches. I got way too fat. I'm not going to say heavy. I just got fat. That's all there is to it. But uh, I'm getting back in shape. It's I didn't get this way overnight, and I won't lose it overnight, but I am losing it, and I feel a lot better. So I appreciate your time. And like I said, it is Halloween, and I've got those posters on the wall, and you saw the book. It's $10 each or 15 both plus shipping. I think the shipping's running about $350 because the tube weighs more than the posters do and it's perfect for halloween and like i said that that one with the swastika that is a banned book cover how often do you hear that from an author you can get a banned book cover poster that's pretty cool well i appreciate your time i appreciate you all listening leave comments because that's what Keeps me excited when I get comments. That means people are listening and they're enjoying it or they're not. You tell me what you like. You tell me what you don't like. And that's the only way I can make the show better. So you all enjoy the rest of your weekend. I'm going to probably go to dinner with uh, my good friend, Mr. Ford, so we can watch the Red Sox and Astros play. I think I saw the scores four to nothing Red Sox already. 
Well, that way we can come back and he can catch the stars. He's a big hockey fan. Y'all have a good weekend. And in two weeks, I will have a guest, Candace Bond. She is a personal injury attorney. I'm not one that's excited about attorneys from past experiences, but I read her bio and she has a really good story and she is going to enlighten us on October 30th. So have a good weekend and I will see you then. I hope you enjoyed our time together. I know I did. Without you wonderful listeners, this show would not be possible. If you want to know more about me and how my brain works, that's a scary thought. Check out my books at jeffdawsononamazon.com, websites, LDDJ Enterprises, and jeffdawsonauthor.site for upcoming releases and teaser excerpts from past and present publications. You can also contact me at Facebook, LDDJ Enterprises Publishing, or email LDDJEnterprises at gmail.com or on Twitter at JeffDawson59. Have a great week and look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Dawson's Domain.